Hello, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Yes, it's good to see you. Um, yeah, we're continuing our series exploring the, or through the Gospel of Luke, and we've come to the third chapter. So you can stand with me as we read on the screen. It's about 20 verses. <laughs> In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight and rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation." John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire." And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Please sit down. And thank you for standing for this long, whole page. <laughs> so where are we? Up until now, Jesus has not yet started his ministry. He has been leading a normal life in a quite small town with a normal job for 30 years. John the baptizer is in the desert, not exactly leading a normal life with a normal job when the voice of God calls him out of the wilderness to start preaching and baptizing. As we heard, John's preaching is quite harsh. He's calling people out uh, on the way that they are living their lives, being very clear that it does not hold up to the standards of God's kingdom. 
He calls them brood of vipers or family of snakes and operates very much in line with the prophets of the Old Testament, scolding without any filters or niceties, being equally angry with all. It says in the gospel that John was proclaiming the good news. However, it seems he had a rather interesting approach to that. Although, to be frank, his tone isn't actually all that different from the preaching of Jesus. Uh, The echoes of this can be heard all through Jesus' sermon on the mount as well. But there is a significant difference, and we will come back to this later. So, we are by the River Jordan. People are coming from near and far to be baptized by John. They are called to repent, to receive forgiveness of sins, and start living in the light of being forgiven, turning away from their old ways. Then Jesus shows up and he, has, he asks John to baptize him. And what just happened there? Jesus being the Christ, the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, is not in need of repentance or forgiveness. So how come Jesus is asking John to baptize him? John is equally perplexed. And it says in the Gospel of Matthew that John even tried to talk Jesus out of it. But Jesus insists, saying that this has to be done in order to fulfill all righteousness. And I don't even get what that means, to fulfill all righteousness. But one thing that it seems to be indicating is that this event extends far beyond this particular moment and place It has to do with something bigger than just Jesus and his cousin John standing in the River Jordan uh, on this particular day in year 30 AD. Just to look at the passage again, just a short one, (laughs) not all of (laughs) it. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The whole Trinity is present at this event. Jesus Christ, the Son, descending into the water and rising, the Holy Spirit coming over him like a dove, and God the Father speaking and proclaiming who Jesus is, his beloved, his Son. And just this short passage is packed And it's where we'll be spending the next 15 minutes or so. So firstly, it tells us something fundamental about the identity of God. God self-identifies as Father, a loving Father who takes delight in his Son. And for modern readers of the Bible, like us, it's, I think it's very easy to miss, miss hints and links that were self-evident to those growing up in the culture of Jewish storytelling. So when you read the Bible and come across a particular word or turn of phrase, a description of an event that reminds you of another passage in the Bible, that's probably not just a peculiar coincidence, but rather a very deliberate and common tool in Jewish literary tradition placed there by the writer in order to point us to important parallels or links that may open the window to reveal a greater understanding and further depths of the text. In this case, Jesus' baptism, we are pinpointed to another biblical event also involving 
water, spirit, God's word, and a blessing. The creation story in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Hovering over the waters. Kind of like a dove, maybe? At creation, God speaks. His word goes out by the power of the Holy Spirit into the vast, empty wilderness, the chaos, and creates, creates something new. And God looks at it and declares, it is good. Can you hear the echoes? Right after being baptized, Jesus, the word of God, is sent into the wilderness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And after that, further into the chaos and bewilderness of humanity, creating something new by redeeming, forgiving, healing and restoring those that he meets. So what does it mean then if the story of Jesus' baptism is pointing us to the creation story in Genesis? Maybe there is something similar going on here. In the Bible, water often represents one, or one of two things, chaos or life. Chaos as in the dark, empty waters before creation, the chaos before God created the cosmos. Or think of Jesus calming the storm when he was out at sea with the disciples that were scared of the storm and the waves. Or water can be connected to life. Think Exodus, where the Israelites are being led out of Egypt through the waters from a life of slavery to a life of freedom. Or Jesus telling the Samaritan woman by the well that he is the source of living water that gives eternal life. In the baptism of Jesus, it seems both of these are coming together. Jesus steps down into the water, into the sin and chaos of humanity, lets himself be overwhelmed by it, and raises out of it, pointing us also to the resurrection and the new life. As the sound of God's voice can be heard proclaiming Jesus' true identity as beloved son, revealing his unity and fellowship with the eternally life-giving Father God. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So the new creation is not just something that lies ahead of us somewhere in the distant future. It is already here, and God is working on it as we speak, redeeming and reconciling his creation with himself. And we are invited to take part in it. Jesus seems to be seeing his baptism as inextricably linked to his coming death and resurrection. Jesus sacrificing himself for the life of the world reaches its culmination on the cross, but it started maybe already in his baptism as he willingly threads into the water, bows down and lets the water, which is tainted with the people's sins, wash over him, cover him. Jesus is not baptized for the same reasons as the others coming to John, the baptizer, to receive redemption and forgiveness and to be washed free from sin. 
but rather to immerse himself in the sins of the people in much the same way that the people's sins wash over Jesus in his baptism, God's mercy washes over us when we are baptized. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptized into his death and that we too may live a new life. Followers of Christ have always connected baptism with dying and resurrection, thus the link to Easter is apparent and what happens on the cross. In the ancient Orthodox Church, baptism of new believers happened once a year during the liturgy of the Easter Vigil, held in the hours of darkness between Holy Sunday and Easter Sunday, Holy Saturday and sunrise on Easter Sunday. So as to make no doubt that in being baptized, we are dying to ourselves and being raised with Christ. As we saw earlier, the whole Trinity is present in Jesus' baptism. And although this event happened, did happen in a particular event, a particular uh, moment in history and time, it is not a unique situation. The fellowship of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has, has always been and is always in unity, eternally loving, endlessly giving and receiving love. Jesus says this in John 17, 34, when he speaks about God the Father. You loved me before the creation of the world. British theologian Michael Reeves, in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, asks the curious question, what was God doing before creation? And the answer is, he loved. This is what God has always done. He has always been Father, loving the Son, and being loved in return, in complete unity, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why John, the Apostle John, can say the famous words in his letter that God is love. It's not just something that God does, it's something God is. The very essence of who he is. He cannot help but to love because he is love. And what never ceases to amaze me about the Trinity is that it doesn't stop there. It never stops with itself. It's not a closed fellowship. Being love, the Trinitarian God, is by essence other-centered. God creates the world and sends his son to the world so as to invite everything into his eternal fellowship of being loved and loving in return. However, it's not just that we are individually, each of us, being invited to participate in the Trinitarian Fellowship. Theologian Alexander Schmemann writes, baptism is the death of the selfish and the self-sufficient in us. By being invited to participate in the Fellowship of the Trinity, we are also invited into fellowship with the family of God, with others belonging to Christ. 
We are baptized into unity with Christ and all those belonging to him. And being in unity with Christ also means that Jesus is bringing us to where he is. As he prays in John 17, 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And where is Jesus? He steps right into the chaos of human lives with those who are suffering and broken, like us. Um, can you get the quote up, David? Rowan Williams, who was Archbishop of Canterbury, writes it beautifully in his book, Being Christian. The new humanity that is created around Jesus is not a humanity that is always going to be successful and in control of things, but a humanity that can reach out its hand from the depths of chaos to be touched by the hand of God. So how can one tell if one's been baptized? If you ask, where might you expect to find the baptized? One answer is, in the neighborhood of chaos. It means you might expect to find Christian people near those places where humanity is most at risk, where humanity is most disordered, disfigured, and needy. Christians will be found in the neighborhood of Jesus, but Jesus is found in the neighborhood of human confusion and suffering, defenselessly alongside those in need. If being baptized is being led to where Jesus is, then being baptized is being led toward the chaos and the neediness of a humanity that has forgotten its destiny. So it seems God is extending to us a twofold invitation. We are invited to open up for stepping into chaos, the chaos around us and the chaos within us, to be vulnerable and live in solidarity with those who suffer. That's one thing. And the other is that we are invited to open up for receiving God's spirit, participating in his loving fellowship and living in the light of his abundant forgiveness and mercy. So did we answer the question? Why did Jesus have to be baptized? This is still a mystery to me and I think it will remain so. And frankly, I don't mind mysteries. Um, but perhaps one aspect of it was in order for Jesus to, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2, share in our humanity and be fully human in every way. It seems Jesus saw his baptism as kickstarting the beginning of the new creation, as linked to his sacrificing himself on the cross and rising from the grave, conquering death in order that we may have eternal life. As another translation phrases Jesus' reply to John in Matthew 3, God's work putting things right all these centuries is coming together right now in this baptism. Um, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. This tells us that everyone belonging to Christ may take God's words over Jesus as he rises out of the water of his baptism as said over us. You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. 
With you, I am well pleased. Before Jesus did any miracles, before he started his ministry, this was what he heard from the Father. He didn't have to prove anything first. His Father said, you are my beloved. And this is the unconditional love of the Father for his children. And it includes us. So, to return to the challenging words of John the Baptizer in the beginning, calling us to live a life that bears fruit in, bearing with, in keeping with repentance, I think we ought to read it in light of Christ. Yes, as we follow Jesus, we are called to live a life of solidarity with the poor. Laying our lives down for each other is something to be taken seriously. But, and this is what makes a world of difference, belonging to Jesus it doesn't start with, you brood of vipers. It starts with, you, my beloved child. Let's close in prayer. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you that you may know that he is gracious towards each and every one of you. That the Lord may turn his face towards you and see into the reality of your life, of your hopes and of your fears, of your joys and of your tears, that he may bring you the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So go in that peace and serve the Lord and serve each other and serve the world joyfully.